When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Hello, everyone. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, April 17th, and we have your series recap for you. We are talking about the Cubs and Colorado Rockies splitting four games out in Denver, Colorado. And Brendan, uh, a lot to talk about here. Four games, so obviously we have yes. a, a ton going on in you know these last four days. Uh, but generally speaking, like without knowing all of that went on, you're you're taking a split in Colorado pretty much every time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just getting through that fourth game, like a three-game series is bad enough. Having four in Colorado, I don't know how those Rockies fans do it for 81 games a year. It's like no lead is safe. Nothing feels comfortable at any time. I'm glad to get out of there, Corey. Yeah, and, and you also just realize, I mean, obviously you get familiar with watching games at Wrigley Field or even some of the NL Central ballparks that we're kind of super familiar with. But it, it just gets very confusing watching games at Coors Field. Like, I think a ball off the bat yeah. is a home run, or I think it's a it's fly ball, up. and <laughs> it just turns out I have no idea. Yeah, I I, like, I don't know how anyone watches that, that many games out there. And you saw it, too. Like, even on some of the communication with the outfielders, I don't blame them for not being you know, comfortable with where they are. Those outfield gaps are massive. So to get a split... Go back to Wrigley. You're above 500. It feels it feels pretty good. Yeah, you also get the sense too with the pitchers that you know we've heard that a lot of the breaking stuff doesn't work the same in Colorado, yeah. things like that. And you can kind of tell that as you're watching the game that oh, the pitchers sure. are uncomfortable at times or they're moving away from certain pitches. But yeah, like we're we're gonna run through these four games, just set the table, read the scores, uh, a couple of the pitching lines, things like that. Um, but to you know, obviously, I think you would have liked to have taken both games in Pittsburgh if we're just looking at last week, the road trip as a whole, as the Cubs come back to Wrigley Field on Monday to host uh, Tampa Bay. But any time, like, they don't, you know, you got the Colorado trip out of the way, right? And it wasn't a disaster. Yeah. You split. The Rockies, even when they're not a good team like they weren't last year, they still managed to win games at home. 
so to go there and get a split and have this not be some sort of disaster of a road trip or disaster of a series, you're taking that every day. You're going back to Wrigley Field. You're above 500. You're feeling good. You're feeling good. And I think the way they went about winning these games, too, the offense looked promising. The at-bats looked good from the whole group this time, most of the whole group. And the way that the bullpen came out and kind of fought back through some tough situations, it was really encouraging, Corey. There was way more positives and negatives. You're always going to have negatives. But when you come back from a split road trip on the West Coast to start the year off, you're getting some guys hot again. It, it does inspire optimism. Yeah. So let's run through these four games right quick just to uh, set the table for the discussion here. On Thursday, it was a 5-2 to two victory for the Cubs. Frank Schwindel with a home run in this one, his first of the year. And it was the Justin Steele-Keegan Thompson piggyback show for the most part. Not the only yeah. two pitchers in the game, but four and a third, five hits, two earned, two walks, four strikeouts from Steele. Ethan Roberts followed, uh, didn't have his best command, but then it was Keegan Thompson for three and a third. He actually gets the win in this one. Three hits, no runs, no walks, and a strikeout. Michael Givens gets his first save of the year in that one. On Friday, it was a 6-5 to five loss. You, you felt like you could have had this one. So if there was one that got away, it was definitely Friday. Uh, but not a great start for Marcus Stroman, which Brendan will uh, assuredly break down for us in a little bit. Four innings, six hits, five earned, one walk, and four strikeouts for Stroman. He does give up a home run in this one as well. So uh, a tough one. The Cubs battled back. They scored one in the ninth inning there, but it was not enough to get the W there. But, uh, you know, and, and it was kind of a theme throughout the weekend, though. Even in the games the Cubs lost, they they show fight, right? So that's that's always mm-hmm. good to see. Um, Alfonso Rivas, Rafael Ortega, Wilson Contreras, and Jonathan Villar driving in some runs. And then Patrick Wisdom getting into this game late. We'll talk about him a little bit. He also had an RBI in this game. On Saturday, it was a 6-9 to nine loss for the Cubs, Mark Leiter Jr. getting the spot start in this one, three and a third, five hits, seven earned, four walks, and four strikeouts. Kind of cruised through those first two innings, but then it uh, fell apart there for him. But, yeah. you know, uh, kind of not not sure what you're expecting from a spot start there, especially with how many guys uh, the Cubs have out in terms of their pitching staff. Uh, again, that one was six to nine, the loss on Saturday. Jonathan VR, more RBIs on Saturday. Patrick Wisdom had a good game in this one, and Jason Hayward had an RBI triple in the eighth uh, to get himself on the board, but that would not be enough. And then on Sunday, it was a six to four Cubs win. Drew Smiley, four and two thirds, four hits, no runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. He was really good in this game. Uh, the back end of the bullpen with Michael Givens, Rowan Wick and David Robertson. Uh, things got close. They felt close in this one, especially as at the aforementioned Coors Field, but they do lock it down. David Robertson picks up his third save of the season. Wilson Contreras and Seiya Suzuki homering in this game. So we'll get more into some of the specifics and stuff, but always when we do these recaps, especially when there's four games, just kind of like to remind you of what happened here, and then we can kind of get into the player specifics. But Brendan, to start, um, generally speaking, right, like you and I were texting mm-hmm. about this, and it's something that you're kind of seeing across Cubs Twitter as well as you watch these games. Like, we knew that they wanted more contact, right? We knew that they wanted to cut down on the strikeouts, things like that. Um, but it is jarring, to say the least, <laughs> it is. to be watching this team. If you have watched every game or most of the games for the last six years or so, I feel like we're in the twilight zone, Brendan. This is a completely <laughs> different brand of baseball that you are seeing on the offensive side from the Chicago Cubs. It's it's completely different. If you look at the leaderboard of Cubs contact rate, it looks to be reliable going going forward now the quality of that contact we'll see if that ends up being enough for the Cubs to continue to put up runs and that that's the big if and it's honestly more likely that's not going to work long term but 
with the foundation in place, you can still see them winning games, and maybe the quality of contact does end up being good enough. But Nick Madrigal is number one in contact rate for the Cubs at an 89% rate. Nico Horner is 88%. Those two guys have histories of high contact. Those are likely going to be sustainable rates given the complete sum of their entire game since, since debuting um, you know, years ago. Then it's Seiya has an 84% contact rate. He had similar contact rates in Japan. We know that discipline, we know his underlying skill set is conducive to contact. That might be sustainable. Ian Happ's contact rate, Corey, is 82%. That's the biggest jump of anyone on, on this list. We're used to seeing Ian around 70% or so. So for him in the early goings here, and it matches the eye test, he's, he's making more contact. And if that contact rate over a 50 to 100 plate appearance sample ends up being this high, then that signals something changed. That's, that's something's uh, really encouraging if that ends up being the case. Frank Schwindel, 76% within his career range. Willis Contreras, 75%. A little bit on the higher side, but still not crazy out of his range. And then Patrick Wisdom, as we talked about on the last episode, still at 73%, up from 60% of last year, even though it's still extremely early. So you look at this list, you see the minimal number of strikeouts. You do see, especially with Nico and Madrigal of the series, and Frank and Patrick, you do see them going gap to gap for a lot of extra base hits. That's fun to see. But you can actually envision this team, as you enter in the summer months, still having that type of low strikeout number, high contact rate, because you're getting performances by Madrigal, Nico, Seiya, Frank, guys who do have histories of high contact games. Yeah, so a couple things that you know really jump out to you in terms of putting numbers to how different what you're seeing feels, probably. Uh, the number one team in baseball in terms of batting average, the Chicago Cubs. That's the weird. number one team in terms of on-base percentage in all of baseball, the Chicago Cubs. OPS, the, Cubs. the Chicago Cubs. The Chicago Cubs have the sixth lowest strike amount of strikeouts in all of baseball like brendan who, who are these guys it's like what am i watching does, does, does it feel like that though we were talking to me it does and well yeah i mean you see you see the base hits right but like i'm trying to figure out why does it not feel that it's that good i mean of course your record is five and four you maybe you want more wins but for me i've been so maybe subconsciously focused on Frank and Patrick doing well. And the fact they haven't had that hot start as some guys like VR and, and, um, and Seiya, to me, I'm just, I was waiting for Frank and Patrick to show signs of, I don't even want to say life because that's such a strong word, but just showing signs of fitting in to that, that second half we saw last year. So that's why it doesn't feel like it's truly that good, even though I do recognize that it has been that good. Yeah, I, I think what you're describing is is just that, you know, they have so many base runners, but it doesn't necessarily feel like they're, you know, blowing the cover off the door uh, in any of these yeah, A lot games. of double plays, too. They lead yeah. the league in double plays. That's, they you do. know, something that we can talk about and as well. And that's not going to go away. But it's, yeah, it's, it's just a, a very different brand of offense than we are used to. And I was watching the Rockies broadcast for a lot of these games because uh, I was watching on my computer this weekend. And their broadcast team was remarking that, you know, we've seen the, this team over the last few years when we go to yeah, Chicago or when they come thing. to Colorado. And this is a, this is a, they, they, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. They were just like, this is, and they call the Cubs slap happy. At yeah. One point. <laughs> and like, I, I think I <laughs> yeah. tweeted this, but like one of the quotes was like, they may not hit a lot of home runs, but the Chicago Cubs might single you to death. Right. And that's so weird. It is so weird. Like, and, and it's just like, Again, we have, will continue to debate, like, what the better kind of offense is, and I think it's probably a hybrid of the two, the, the way that... Well, what do, you, what do you like the best? As a fan, you know, watching the, that, the heavy whiff, high-power approach for five years versus what this is now. Well, as a fan, I want them to win. Uh, so, yeah. jury's still out on this group, well, right? Well I'm, say, well, I'm saying this not like, oh, which one do you enjoy more? For me, the question is, like, which one do you feel more comfortable with? In terms of a pro with? profile. 
in terms of like getting stable wins, if you if like, which one do you feel more comfortable with? A lot of people will say home runs and whiffs because you know home runs, you limit the variability within the same inning. You just hit the ball over the fence, and then other people may say, "Well, I like the ability to grind pitchers down to force mistakes," as we've seen Javi do in years past on the base pass, etc. Like for for me, I think the hybrid is the the obvious choice here, but. Uh, I still want to see power because power is the easiest way right. to score. You you limit you limit the junk. Um, I think so. I still I would I would trend towards power is what I'm trying to say. Although I do enjoy watching this. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's more. I action. think the the thing for me is that this is not this offense's final form, right? You know, just like the kind of team as a whole in 2022, this is kind of a starting point, and as you know, yeah. the years go on next year, 2024, whatever. I think you'll see stuff added to this, whether it's Brendan Davis or free agents or whatever, that kind of add to what they're doing right now. But this is the start yeah. of, you know, they, they talked about it a bunch, Jed in the front office, like we need to get away from that particular approach that we had. We did it for a while and it just wasn't working anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And they certainly did that. They course corrected, right? This is a a completely different look to this offense. But I think eventually, not this year, likely, you'll add certain things that take the best parts of this offense that which which is what you're seeing the high batting average high on base a lot of contact you know only I mean even in in the four games this weekend they struck out four times in a game twice and seven times in a game twice right like I I mean I'd be curious last year how many last year the year before like how many times did that team not strike out in double digits in an entire series I mean, right? I, I can't even If you told me that, it yeah. never happened, I would believe you. I would not be yeah. shocked. Right. So I think this is not the ultimate version of this vision of the offense, if that makes sense, right? No, it makes but sense. But it, it is, at least for me, like, may, it, may, it, it, it likely won't be a, a better or more productive offense than the ones that we've seen in years past, like on the whole when the season is over. But it is mm-hmm. nice— to just see this change, right? Like to feel like these guys are going to put the bat on the ball. They're going to make things happen when they're at the plate, right? And you'd like more power, sure. There's pros and cons. But it it after so many years of the same thing, it is a, a, a noticeable and, you know, dare I say refreshing, maybe, just to, no, I think that's the right way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, just to see them not striking out so much, making contact, and like, yeah, the double plays are frustrating. It's a symptom of what they're doing, right? You want yeah. more contact, you want to put the ball in play, like, that's going to happen. You're going to get more base runners, which is going to lead to more opportunities for double plays. So you want to keep the ball off the ground. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make a lot of contact, you'd prefer it be on a line or in the air, and hopefully that starts to come. But it has been a very noticeable shift in what we're seeing. Right. I don't think it's like an all out, all or nothing approach to I, I like taking a step back. I think the way you described the context specificity we're seeing as being like less likely to produce runs is, is a good way of, of phrasing it. Right. Because that, that 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 is the case. And it doesn't mean that you can't do it because they're, they're doing it now. It just, you know, it, it is it is less likely just from like a predictive standpoint. But if you look at the way the Cubs built this roster, you kind of figured they would go down this this path once you trade and put in your lineup almost every day, Nick Magical. And then you go out and sign Seiya Suzuki. You give him $100 million knowing he's going to be probably around league average to above league average contact. And at this point, he's, he is you know a decent amount above league average for contact. And then you give a huge bulk of playing time to Frank Schwindel. Those are three contact oriented guys replacing figures from the past five years that were just whiffing in the bottom 10th to 20th percentiles so that that's where it's at but it's not an all or nothing approach because the other moves they made for example you go out and you give you know clint frazier uh an opportunity even hermosillo doesn't make league average contact right now you do want to get some power that way so they do recognize like power is necessary, and they're they're going to need to find a way to to put that in their lineup in the middle of the order, 
in the form of Schwindel, hopefully the power goes up, or Wisdom, that power comes back. That's kind of like the healthy mix. But I like the foundation. It's a good way of putting it. You put the foundation in place, and then whether it be this year or next year in the form of current players within this organization or coming outside from free agency or trades, then you can supplement this current team that has a stable approach with maybe some of that hybrid type power hitters we've seen from from years and teams past. Yeah, and I, I think on the whole in Colorado, you probably would have liked to score more total runs, but I think the totals you see from this team are kind of uh, maybe emblematic of the the newfound approach, and and maybe you can find a little more consistency if that's what you're going for on the whole with this type of group, because you look at the, the way these games played out, five runs, five runs, six runs, six runs, right? So again, like one of the goals was to get rid of the kind of boom or bust, all or nothing type games we saw from this team in past years. And that's what they're doing. They're They're, they're scoring at least, I think they've scored at least four runs in seven of the nine games, right? And if, if you can get the pitching staff healthy, you can iron out some of the things at different levels of the bullpen, like... That's what they're going for, to put the ball in play, right. to score a consistent amount of runs on a nightly basis to keep them in games, give them winnable amounts of offense for this pitching staff. And mm. again, like with the way this roster is constructed, it's going to be up and down, right? Because the pitching staff is not elite and this offense is not elite. But if you can consistently put out three, four, five plus runs, like you're going to, again, eliminate some of that like absolute bust approach that we saw from this team in past years. Right. Okay. Quick break from our sponsor, Points Bet. The best way to support CHGO is to download the Points Bet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, You'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. If you have any questions, email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. Remember that PointsBet is your home for live in-game betting. They even have a new exclusive feature, Live NBA, Same Game Parlay, for the first time ever. Build a perfect live Same Game Parlay only with PointsBet. Combine your favorite bets anytime during the game, and you can even boost your live same game parlays. And now, online signup is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish, all from your phone. Signing up with the fastest sportsbook is easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds. Use CHGO to get two risk free bets up to $2,000. So, what are you waiting for? Once the game starts, don't just bet live your bet life with points bet gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 and don't forget to support all that we are doing at chgo podcasts and live shows on every team every day pre-game and post-game shows and premium written content for all members that sign up at allchgo.com. You get a free shirt when you become a member and you get access to the members only Discord, the CHGO Lounge. So to get all of the great writing from our guy Ryan Herrera, Jared Willis, Brendan, and a lot of other great writers covering all the teams in Chicago, sign up to become a member at allchgo.com today. So Brendan, we might as well just add a segment into our episodes where we just talk about Seiya Suzuki, right? So we're going to start as as we jump into some of the specifics on the players. Let's start there. And I'm going to start by just reading. This is how I think we're just going to start. Just read his numbers. I love it. Here's some crazy statistics that he's, you know, (laughs) setting some sort of record or, or doing some cool thing. So the first 40 swings of the season for Seiya Suzuki resulted in four homers, two doubles, and four singles, which was the best ratio of total bases to swings in all of Major League Baseball. So that's Hmm, cool. He's reached base safely in nine straight games, all nine games, to start his MLB career. He has reached base at least two times in all eight of the games that he started, so that is also cool. 
He has an eight-game hitting streak, which is the second longest run for a Japanese-born player to begin an MLB career. Akinori Iwamura had a nine-game streak in 2007 uh, for the Rays, who come in tomorrow, so Seiya can try to top Mm. that. Um, We could probably just keep going on on these numbers, but again, like he's still doing it the same way that we talked about when we were looking at his scouting report when he signed that first weekend against the Brewers, the patience, command of the strike zone, hit an opposite field home run today. Oh, it's beautiful. I, like, I, I don't even know what to say about this guy anymore. Like, it's been nine games, but the dude's a stud. It's it's unbelievable. And to go even a little bit deeper, expected weighted on base average, 99th percentile. Barrel percentage, 99th percentile. Walker rate, 99th percentile. <laughs> A little sneaker in here. Sprint speed, 90th percentile. Uh, I mean, we'll see if that ends up being real over the course of the next few uh, weeks here. But Corey, across the board, the surface numbers, the batting average, the home runs, the walks, all that, it's not a fluke. Everything else underneath that, the expected numbers, are also still the best in the league. So he's, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. He's the best hitter we've ever seen. This is the best hitter in Major League Baseball, Corey, right? I, well, and you also saw it in this series against the Rockies that he's getting intentionally walked. <laughs> I mean, he's Barry Bonds. He's getting That's the Barry that, Bonds treatment. He is. I mean, I think he is Barry Bonds. Yeah. In his third series of his career, Brendan. I mean, I this know. is, and and again, like if you're looking at, from the Rockies' perspective, they're not wrong to do it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, like, he's exceeding, I know we had high expectations, but just the way, for me, it's the way he goes about doing this, right? I expected, especially with a short spring training and coming over into a new environment, new team, you're learning the dynamics of American Major League Baseball. It's a lot to take in, right? And he's going out there on day one looking as if he's played against these pitchers and seeing these pitchers for years. He's never seen any of these pitchers from day one. You're seeing Corbin Burns like it's nothing. And then you see Brandon Woodruff the next day like it's nothing. It's the type of approach he brings to the plate. Used a word before refreshing. I may have used it a few episodes ago. Like he he is the standard of watching a refreshed version of this right. offense. And, and and he's like the emblem of what Jed probably wants to showcase an offense to be. Some some offense that will grind you down as we saw in 2015 and 2016. Will hit for power, but you may sacrifice a little power for more contact. And that's what really Seiya Suzuki is. All the numbers are insane right now and i like they are exceeding my expectations he's doing it this fast that's the craziest part about this yeah i mean again i i I don't know that there's enough you can say about this guy i mean he leaves sunday's game so he'll enter monday hitting exactly 400 and for his batting average with Mm. a 1503 ops like i don't want to say anything crazy on this podcast but brendan i i think that'll play I think that will play too. I think it'll play. Um, We'll see. At this point, the only question is, you know, when does David Ross move him up? Like, I I know he's doing well. You don't necessarily want to ruffle any feathers this early, but he's clearly your best hitter, and you're at some point going to want to get him more at bats. Um, But we'll see how David Ross decides to deal with that. Well, he's well. Ross has the luxury of seeing Wilson perform well and Hap perform well right now so it's not as if he has to like put him up there and even if VR continues to play more often like he's been doing well as well so maybe the fifth sixth spot is the prime spot for Sia to continue to see more pitches yeah so want to stick uh on the offense and obviously we'll we'll get to Brendan's thoughts on the pitchers and and break down some of that stuff especially Drew Smiley and Marcus Stroman the good and the bad um but just wanted to point out a couple things from guys that when we went into this series I think everybody had kind of dialed in on as, you know, again, we I, I talked about this with uh, Luke and, and Cody on, on Thursday night when I did the post game in the studio with them. And you don't like really want to use the word concerned. It feels a little early for that. But just guys that, you know, have come out of the gate and the, their their performance or I guess lack thereof has people talking right? Let's put it that way. Um, So one of them was Nick Madrigal, who was six for 13 in this series with a walk, had a very nice series. And I think a series, Brendan, that is the type you expect from him, right? 
ripping yeah. singles. He went the other way for a couple doubles. Like, it's not flashy. It's not super exciting, but he puts the bat on the ball, and a lot of the time, they're going to be line drives. He's making hard contact. I think his average exit velocity on the season is over 90 miles an hour. Like, on the long haul, I think he's going to end up doing what you expected out of him. Yeah, and he leads the team in in contact rate, and also defensively too. He made a few nice I think plays he looks totally at second base. Fine out there. I think I, you know, we've been spoiled for so long watching these infielders for the Cubs. I, I understand it may look a little bit different, and we'll see how the large sample plays out. But he's had samples in the years past where his defense performs better than three quarters a second baseman. So it's, and those are in small samples, granted, but it's not as if he's a DH standard guy only. I think he does look fine out there. Corey. Yeah. And I, I think I've said this either with you or with Luke and Cody and Ryan, but at some point, like one thing that I'll reiterate is he and Nico look really good turning those double plays. They, they, we, yeah. we saw the videos in, in spring training. It might've even been uh, before the lockout was lifted, like they were working at the MLBPA camp or something like that, you know, practicing those double play turns. They look really fluid doing that. Yeah, they do. And I think Nico's just overall, his defensive game is is maturing uh, to a rate that was not really confidently projected years ago. So that's that's good to see. But like even just looking right now at Magical's defense, again, it's only a few games here, only nine games, but the plays he's made he's rating better than 70% of second baseman right now. So again, small sample, but it does match the eye test. The The effort on some of those plays may look to be a lot. So it kind of like makes you think, oh, well, can a, a different second baseman make the same play without that high effort? M- maybe, but he's making the plays. So up the middle, at least in the infield, it, it should inspire confidence at this point. I don't see a reason why it shouldn't, given what we're seeing at this point. Yeah. So another guy uh, that we talked about, um, especially on Thursday night in the postgame show, because people were getting on him for sure, and that's Patrick Wisdom, who you know rebounds the rest of the series. He goes six for nine with two walks. Um, he came in as a replacement in uh, the game, excuse me, on Friday and went two for two and then three for four on Saturday and one for three with two walks on Sunday. So all in all, uh, a really nice series from him. And I think he's one of those yeah. guys where it's easy to see the, you know, let's call it danger of digging too much into early numbers and like you you kind of contrast that like the reason we're so hype on Suzuki even though there are only nine games in numbers is because the underlying stuff is so good it suggests that these numbers mm-hmm. are not being inflated by a couple home runs or anything like that right but with wisdom you know at I think coming into this series he had a negative WRC plus Brendan uh and that's back mm-hmm. up to 91 after this Rocky series. So unfortunately, he can't play every game in Colorado. He's going to have to, you know, show these, uh, you know, sort of numbers and adjustments when we get back to Wrigley here on Monday. But it's it's good to see how quickly he was able to at least turn that around, have a nice series, and just sort of, you know, maybe get people off his back for a little bit, right? Like this was a nice series. He was right. ripping the ball. Um, no homers, too. Like that's something you certainly expect him to eventually be, you know, running into some balls after the season we saw from him in 2021. But all in all, it, it had to feel really good for Patrick to have a nice productive weekend at the plate. Oh, ab- absolutely. And the quality of contact that we saw from Patrick, he almost missed a home run um, in the third game. Multiple doubles, five five stray hits. It's it's to be determined whether a lot of the performance he put up last year is, is translatable to a larger sample, but it does... I, I feel uncomfortable always talking about hitters when it's only five games, 10 games. And so it's going to be magnified to start the season, but I'm trying to consider, okay, how did he look towards the end of last year? What changes is he making to start the year? How much weight do you want to put on a shorter spring training, watching these guys amp up their pace? And so for Patrick, there's so many different variables because he did end 2021 on a sour note, but at the same time, he went through these fast adjustment phases throughout 2021 as well that's that's really hard to ignore. And then you kind of take that type of 
past performance and you apply it right now, it's not surprising he had a good series in Colorado. It's, it's the year just just started. As a fan, I said this last time, you want to see all these guys get out of the gate fast and put up Seiya Suzuki type numbers, but it's just not it's not feasible for the majority of this group. I remember years ago, it took Alfonso Soriano until the 1st of May to hit his first home run as a Cub, I believe, Corey, in, in Pittsburgh uh, on a morning game. I remember this so vividly. So the fact that some of these guys are just going to naturally get off to a slow start. But I think with Patrick and even Frank and some of the other guys, like we just have to keep reminding ourselves that it is early. A lot of these underlying peripherals, although we're even talking about them with Seiya Suzuki, they do take 50 plate appearances, 100 plate appearances to stabilize. And until we get around that point, then we can start interpreting, okay, what is real? What is what is likely going to happen if things don't change, we'll get into some of that as the, the weeks go on here, but it's still so early and it's good to see at least from like a confidence standpoint for the player himself, for Frank and Patrick to get some type of success early on. Yeah. Here. And I think for Patrick too, it, it's just nice to, you know, have him have a series that, you know, can just sort of ease the, that, that kind of tension that you felt. Cause the, the start that he had yeah. coming into this series was, was not good, right? The numbers were, uh, I mean, I were bad aggressively bad, right? I mean, his only hit going into Colorado was like an infield right. hit. Corey. And yeah. you, you don't expect David Ross or anybody to be making changes, but you just want him to have a nice series like he did so that there's not that pressure on him and even on David Ross, where like the numbers are so bad. If, if it continues, like, not that there would be pressure to not play him, but you do start to, like, have those questions creep in if, if it if it goes on for a certain amount of time, right? And so you can kind of, like, put that to rest for a second, let him continue to work on the adjustments that he made in spring training to cut down on those strikeouts and see how that all plays out without this pressure of, like, oh, boy, like, these numbers are really bad, right? Like, it just sort of, like, calms things down for a second with, like, the, the discussion around Patrick. But two other guys I want to highlight on offense real quickly before we go to the pitching. Um, one is uh, I'm really liking the addition of Jonathan VR, Brendan. Uh, he, I, I said this to you the other day, like, he's the type of guy that you really would have liked to have on the bench, like, at any point over the last four or five years to replace any number of not good players the Cubs had on the bench and eating regular playing time. Um, two for four on Thursday. Um, he was two for three with a walk on Friday. And then on Saturday, uh, four for five with three RBIs. So he's going to enter this series with the Rays. Again, early numbers, but hitting 474 with a 1079 OPS. Um, versatile player, plays multiple positions. He's sneaky fast, at least. I, I just wasn't expecting that when you're you're watching him come out of the box, but he's got sneaky speed. Like, the, we've seen, you know, like a little bit of sloppiness from him in the field and some other guys um, on, on certain plays, which you want to see cleaned up for the team as a whole, but really liking that addition so far. And then the uh, thing you and I have railed on for years, and we're finally seeing it, but Jan Gomes right? Two for four in the first game of this series. Then he draws back in there uh, with Wilson as the DH on Sunday, two for five with an RBI. Like I, you and I talked so much about how important it was to have a good backup catcher to give Wilson rest. And just when you do rest Wilson to have somebody who's a a quality backup back there and like early returns on Jan Gomes, I am thrilled that they finally went out and addressed that. Yeah, well, I for you you said it you said it best. For years, we've been wanting a backup catcher just to give Wilson a rest. He's caught so many innings. We've seen year in year out. Sometimes that leads to injuries to the legs, and it kind of not kind of it absolutely dampers his season, and it it makes him trying to come back from an injury and put up the same numbers exceptionally hard. So seeing Young Gomes is is also really encouraging and refreshing because we can see even Wilson stay in the lineup, DH that type of combination, Corey, where you have Gomes and Contreras in the same lineup. That that is the old that is the ultimate 
for me because that even in terms of contract extension negotiations, either towards the middle half of this season or in the next offseason, that changes the outlook for Wilson. Because if you can protect his legs by having a quality backup and you can DH him and let's say the rules do change where framing is no longer part of the discussion because you do have like robo ums behind there. Wilson's defense with that arm absent of framing, which has improved, he becomes the the best defensive catcher in the league on arm alone. So you have potentially one of the better offensive catchers. You have potentially one of the better defensive catchers absent of framing. It changes the context. And then you can rest him a little bit, keep his bat in the lineup as a DH if you have a quality backup. That That is that is the ideal outcome for me. So Jan Gomes, the money was well spent. Sometimes we forget he did get $10 million. It was a priority for this front office, and you can see why. Yeah, absolutely. I, I there the the front office and Jed Hoyer made a lot of moves in this offseason, but it's nice to see some of them, you know, that had a really specific intention uh, being used by David Ross for that purpose. And you can clearly see kind of the positive impact um, that it's having on the offense as a whole. I think, you know, uh, again, like it, 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 it's fitting that Wilson homers on Sunday while he's DHing. Gomes is back there. So Wilson gets a day off his legs, still productive on offense. It's just exactly what you were hoping for it's when you made you that sign. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another break here from our sponsor, Points Bet. If you enjoy CHGO, one way to help us continue to grow is to download the Points Bet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. Not only are you going to get two risk free bets up to $2,000, but if you make a $50 or more first time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content. And you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. If you have any questions, email pointsbet at all chgo.com and we will help you out. And in case you missed it, Online signup is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish, all from your phone. You'll be signing up with the fastest sportsbook, easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds. So what are you waiting for once the game starts? Don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, Brendan, let's head into the lab. Let's talk pitching. Okay. Yep. Um, let's start with Drew Smiley. Let's start with the good, yep. and then we'll we'll talk about some of the other stuff. Um, so let's let's start with with Drew Smiley, I guess, and, and Justin Steele. But Smiley in particular, I wanted to highlight because, especially coming off the shorter outing and uh, the loss on Saturday with Leiter Jr. starting that game, big start for Drew Smiley to uh, you know get the split. We talked about how important splitting this series was and and heading back to Chicago over 500 and he didn't get the chance to finish that fifth inning and and qualify for the win but four and two-thirds four hits no runs just one walk and those four strikeouts in Colorado man like this was a really nice start and that's two really nice looking starts for Drew Smiley so far Yeah, his stuff is not going to rate well on the new age metrics. Like one of them is called Stuff Plus, which is a machine learning type algorithm where you try to figure out, okay, can this curveball, can this sinker, cutter, can those be successful pitches just looking at stack ass centered metrics? And Smiley does not rate well on those metrics. His curveball Stuff Plus is like one of the worst. But interestingly, that's because his curveball is kind of like a gyro type curveball. And he's throwing that pitch this year for the first time more than his fastball. So we saw that again against the Rockies. So he threw 74 pitches, 30 of those 74 were curveballs. And that was a 40% split. Then he threw 24 uh, 24 four-seamers, 18 cutters, and two sliders. One weird thing from Smiley, I don't know if this is something to read read into, but his curveball velocity was over four miles per hour slower. Uh, than his year rate and his rate from years past. That that's a huge drop, Corey. When we're, when we're considering that he threw thirty curveballs and the average velocity is over four miles per hour slower, I, I'm just curious why that's the case. And then if you look at his overall break on that pitch, he did add again just in one start four inches of break on that curveball. That is a lot 
a lot of brake change from just a start ago. I don't know. This like, I guess, continue to look into that. A four mile per hour dip, it just doesn't seem to be a fluke. I don't know if they changed something, but just continue to monitor that. But he's exactly what you want from the back end of the rotation. You want someone that can go out there, give your team a chance. And the way the Cubs are doing this with Smiley, at least in their early going here, is to accept the fact that his stuff is not gonna rate that well. So as a result, let's just throw your curveball as your primary pitch. That's like a very interesting type of experiment they're doing with them. Yeah, I, I mean, and look, anytime you make a depth add to your rotation, uh, you know, late in the offseason as it was, and he's through two starts without giving up an earned run, I would say that's pretty solid, Brendan. Yeah. And you also look at the fact that, you know, Wade Miley threw, I think, a 15-ish pitch bullpen this weekend, so he's working his way back, you know, when he'll be back and ready to go. Not sure, but, uh, you know, hopefully in a few weeks, maybe something along those lines. Uh, we'll see if Adbert Azalai, you know, if and when he's able to come back and join this pitching staff. But the point I'm getting at is that, like, Smiley's been pitching well, and if you can add other guys to this mix, you strengthen that depth, right? Oh, and yeah. that's something that's going to no be important. You know, I think a lot of people, um, you know, were again, like concerned is a, is a weird word, but like, uh, you know, the start on Saturday for Mark Leiter Jr. didn't go well. Um, nope. But, you know, again, like you're you're missing some guys, you're still missing Alec Mills as well. Like, and, and those guys are not like going to turn this rotation into an elite rotation, right? Like that's not the takeaway. But if you can bring those guys back, you know at least a little bit what they're able to do at the major league level and how they're able to mm. contribute. You have Smiley performing well. You add some of these guys that have some of a track record at the major league level. You, you get a little more depth, which is going to be important as this season goes on. Right. And the the goal is by the time you get to July, August, September, let's say the Cubs do find themselves in a surprising contention state, you need your top three guys just to be staples. And that's going to be Stroman, it's going to be Kyle, and it could be Miley if he's healthy. If Steele progresses, maybe it ends up being Steele. But then you can use the rest of the guys we just talked about in multi-inning roles the way we saw Keegan Thompson and Steele pitch in that first game where Steele goes five innings, they do, they do go to Roberts, and then you bring in Keegan to finish off the game more or less and that can be the way the Cubs go about kind of handling their their lack of dominant pitching but their just overall breadth of multi-inning type pitchers on this roster which could be valuable as well yeah absolutely and uh you know again uh I talked we we talked a good bit about Steele and Thompson and and that situation on the post-game show on Thursday with uh, Luke and Cody. So you can go back to that episode uh, either on YouTube or your podcast feed and, and check out that discussion as well. But Brendan, this is a, this this tandem is a thing, I think. And I, I, I know that I think Keegan I wanted to be in the rotation that may be his ideal role. You know, and that's a similar sentiment that we've heard from Alec Mills in the past, where he would say, I'll play whatever role they want. I'd like to be a starter. I think I'm a starter, but I'm here to get outs in whatever way they want. I, I really like this Steele-Thompson thing, right? Like Justin Steele, yeah. again, you know, in Colorado, a really nice start. We're, we're still waiting for this rotation as a whole to deliver length and go deeper into games, but that's that's a symptom of a lot of things, right? And it may be a little bit until right. we see that even across baseball on the level that we expect. But a really solid start, just two earned runs, four strikeouts, and four and a third from Steele. And then again, it, it wasn't Ethan Roberts' best outing. His stuff has a lot of break in it, and I don't want to use the Colorado air as an excuse for like everything we're talking <laughs> but about. It's but okay. You are. You're doing His it. stuff breaks a lot, and it doesn't break the same in Colorado. That's just how it is. So it wasn't his best outing. But then Keegan for three and a third allows just three hits, no runs, no walks, and a strikeout. I, I it's it's such a good role for him and and I I I really think that this is a, has the potential to be a successful duo 
as we go forward here. Thompson yeah. doesn't have to follow Steele every time he pitches. Again, hopefully Steele is able to start working into the fifth and sixth and seventh inning, and then maybe you just turn it over to Givens, Robertson, Chris Martin, etc. But it's it's been a successful tandem uh, a lot, even in the, the short time that both of them have been in the majors. Right. I, I like it. I, I kind of described Keegan Thompson as a right-handed version of Justin Steele. And the similarities are not just like in terms of piggybacking on the same day, but they both have similar profiles, just on opposite hands. You have Steele, who's going to be a four-seam guy. You're going to finish guys with a slider, and you're basically moving in one direction with your secondary pitches by throwing either a curveball or a slider. And with Keegan, it's the same deal. You're going to be moving with your breaking pitches in the same direction, whether it be your cutter or your curveball. So both guys don't have a changeup they they rely on. And Steele does have a sinker that he's been working on. He didn't showcase it in Colorado. Maybe he's not comfortable with that pitch in that type of environment, but they're they're very similar. And the attitudes are also very similar too. Sometimes I can't tell who's on the mound based on their like affect on their face. Like they're both just, they have that like a lockdown type mentality. I I feel like, but that's the type of situation that you can see being successful in a short sample playoff series where you have even if it's not steel, maybe it's some other pitcher only going three four innings, and you can bring someone else in for another three or four more innings, and you can save your pen that way. So yeah, I'm digging it. It's kind of that different new age pitching utilization that the Rays helped pioneer over the last two years, which we'll see them um, upcoming here soon. But it's enjoyable. I think it's, it's like a different way of watching the game. And I, li- I like seeing uh, Steele and Keegan on the same day. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And again, I continue to be really, really impressed with their their poise and their confidence when they go out there. They, they, they continue to show that like the moment is not too big for them. They, they've not they've struggled at times they've succeeded at times but every time like they're up for the challenge and you have to respect that from young guys like trying to find their way and trying to find their roles in the major leagues so let's talk about Stroman uh this was an interesting start and and I want you to to have ample time to kind of break down what we saw here uh he needed just 39 pitches to get through the first three shutout innings uh, the fourth needed 41, and it did not go well. It, it, it resulted in five runs. And Stroman said after the game on the fourth inning, quote, I've just got to be better. It's just not acceptable from my point of view. He said his mechanics went awry and he could not regain his rhythm. Quote, it's just frustrating because I was cruising through those three back to the drawing board. So, Brendan, what did you see? What did you like? What did you not like? And, yeah. and what, are we, what are we taking away, if anything, from Stroman's uh, second start as a Chicago Cub? Yeah, I just, just there's not much to be concerned about. This is just me, in my own opinion. The stuff across the board rates exactly the same as it has from last year. So the the type of runs he gave up is not a byproduct of stuff diminishing. So that should inspire confidence. If you look at what worked well against Colorado versus what did not work whatsoever, he didn't have a feel for a splitter that day. If you look at the command in the zone profile, the majority of his splitters were thrown like belt high. Just didn't have a feel for it. He had a good feel for his slider, and he saw some whiffs. He saw three whiffs against his slider. And that was located better. Cutter, the same situation. Uh, sinker, kind of same situation as a splitter, just too much leakiness over the middle of the plate. The stuff is there, though. And I think that's the big takeaway from this entire conversation is going forward, if this continues, Strowman, as we talk about Kyle Hendricks, just a matter of getting your mechanics in tune and getting that comfort and that rhythm. And we keep going back to talking about the spring training being short, but Strowman did talk about that. And we heard other pitchers, even Kershaw being pulled from his perfect game last week. We have heard pitchers say the ramp-up process is a little delayed. And that does have effects, especially when the margin for error at this level is so minimal. You're seeing what that margin for error looks like when these guys are not within rhythm. But for me, just to keep keep emphasizing the stuff is there, the velocity is fine, the cutter is moving, the sinker is moving, the splitter looks good when it's located well. It's just kind of like a matter of time when he gets comfortable and, and starts, starts grooving, Corey. 
Yeah, and I and I appreciated, you know, the the quotes that we had from him, you know, no excuse making and, you know, again, saying yeah, like I it's not like acceptable. That. I need to be better. And um what what you like about that is that you know from hearing from him all off season or if you've listened to him in years past, like he wants to be that guy. He wants to be the ace of this rotation. He wants to be the guy that this team turns to to deliver the best starts they get on this team. And I think you can tell that he's frustrated when it doesn't happen. So, I, you know, I, I know a, a lot of people want the results, and I think you'll get that from him going forward. But I do appreciate that he owns it, and you you really do get the sense that he wants to be the best pitcher in this league. And I know everybody wants to be the best pitcher in this league, right? But he's got the stuff to do it. He's got the pedigree. He's gotten results like that in the past. And he's not here to make excuses for just one bad start. No. He's not saying, oh, it's Colorado or it's just one start. He's out there saying, like, I've got to be better and I will be better. And, you know, you just have to respect it. So before uh, you preview this Tampa Bay series, uh, just want a quick, you know, update, maybe not an update, but just a loose discussion. Um, we continue to see the kind of bullpen shaking out right? So what's clearly happening, and I think we knew this was going to happen, Brendan, is that David Ross is figuring out who is in that lower hierarchy, and we know who's in the higher version, right? Like the the high leverage spots, the the top portion of the bullpen, at least as I see it, and, and we're not really counting Keegan Thompson in this because he's playing a pretty specific role. Um, Rowan Wick, David Robertson, Michael Givens, Chris Martin seem to be that kind of upper threshold of guys. We've seen Givens get some save spots. David Robertson picked up his third save on Sunday. Givens seems to also be being used in that put out the fire, we need some strikeouts kind of role. Uh, We saw that on Sunday and, you know, given the the moment that he came in and and what he was being asked to do. Um, And, you know, the bottom portion of the bullpen is still sort of a work in progress. And I think Ross is figuring out, okay, who can we trust here? Like, where do these guys fit? F. Ross had uh, a good outing in this series, a not as good outing on Sunday. Michael Rucker struggled on Sunday. Um, Jesse Chavez continues to get kind of ripped a little bit like we saw in spring training. So that's something to keep an eye on but uh you know Rowan Wick had a a few nice outings in this series uh an inning of work on Sunday with two strikeouts he was also in the game on Saturday an inning of work with two strikeouts so that's really good to see um that seems to be the hierarchy Brendan like figuring out where do these guys belong who can we trust do we maybe need to make some moves on the bottom portion and okay here's the guys that we're bringing into close games like these are the the big time guys Right. Yeah. And I think we're going to see more iterations Ross thrown out there in the next week or two as well. I, I will say just like on Sunday's game alone, I I did not like Rucker going out there in the seventh inning no, again. And then, yeah. So and I'm sure I was trying, we were talking about this in, in real time, but I'm trying to figure out, okay, why, like, why is that the case? And the only thing I could, I could think about was Ross trying to protect using guys on back-to-back days. Like Wick did throw on Saturday. He ended up throwing on Sunday as well. The velo is down by about a mile compared to uh, Saturday. So that might be why, like trying to escape that inning, being able to use Givens in the eighth and then Robertson in the ninth. Um, that didn't happen. Wick, Wick, Wick had a pitch. So maybe that's the logic there, but I we've seen it a few times now in the season where a pitcher goes out there, they come back out for the turnaround inning, and they don't look good. And we saw with Daniel Norris earlier on in the opening series at Wrigley where he comes in, okay, outs are made, comes back out, seventh inning, not feeling comfortable given the other guys in the bullpen, and it did not work out. So I, that's the one little nitpick thing yeah. with Ross early on, but... I do like the urgency and the creativity of using some of these guys in different roles. I just hope as the season does go along that he does not give those longer leashes to multi-inning guys later in the game when your bullpen, Wick, um, Givens, Robertson, Roberts, 
even Efros. Like I rather those guys get those opportunities than the lower guys like Rucker and Norris, as we're seeing. It's it's early, and as we've said, like you know, this is sort of like David Ross's first regular regular season if you will just given the the circumstances of his first two years as a manager um so you 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 want this stuff to play out but I I would agree with you um I'm if I were if you asked me like what's one thing you don't like about how David Ross manages and I'm not sure if I've heard him articulate why he does this or or if there's a a specific logic to me he tries to make too many guys multi-inning relievers right? And that's what we saw with Rucker on Sunday. Like, he had only gotten the one out and then came back out there. But not everybody can do that, and not everybody should even be given that opportunity. I know you don't want to blow through your guys. Um, you know, you you are rolling into the series here. You don't have an off day on Monday. Um, you, you're, you're coming off playing so many straight games. Like, I get it, right? But not everybody needs to be stretched into that second inning of work or rolled over yeah. into that next inning, especially guys that like don't have the experience at the MLB level. Like this was a close game on Sunday in Colorado. Like, you know, not everybody needs to go out there for that second inning. Like, and there's there's a time and place yeah. for it too. Like, you can do that in the fifth and sixth inning in like a more of like a mid leverage type role, but like not in a higher lever seventh inning spot. Like, don't test it out right go now. To your, go to your guys. Yeah. Go go to yeah. the guys so I, that you trust. Go to the guys right. who have been doing this at this level for a long time, or. Right. You know, if you need those multi-inning things, like you have guys that you're kind of establishing to do that, Keegan Thompson being one of them. Like you have guys that it's like, okay, like they're stretched out. They've shown that they can do this. This is the role that they're occupying. Not everybody needs to do that. So that that would be the only thing. But yeah. again, with the way this bullpen's constructed and, 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 and kind of a, a symptom of when you bring in all these uh, different relievers, reclamation projects, young guys, etc., to kind of piece together to bullpen, you do have to allow Ross a little bit of time at the beginning of the year to kind of figure out what he's working with, right? And there, again, there are times you'd prefer he do that work than others, but I do understand that he's got a lot to figure out and only so many ways to he do does. it. He does. He does. I think that's that's where he's going to need to to learn and be comfortable with and picking the roles to experiment with. Because to me, that's what it is. When you have Rucker and other guys get multi-innings, like especially with even Daniel Norris in those cross-mid to high-leverage situations, that's not, for me, the time to test that out. So hopefully that does improve as as the year goes along, and he'll have to improve. Like That's not acceptable, I think, as we enter a more competitive stage, if they are lucky to be in that competitive stage in the, in the next few months. Okay. So previous upcoming series against the Tampa Bay Rays, they come to Chicago back at Wrigley Field starting on Monday, 6.40 p.m. Central start time earlier, Corey. Uh, 6.40, is that going to be like the new staple? Because this entire series. I think they might have started doing night. that last year. Really? Did I miss that? So the entire last year was a blur. Um, so uh, yeah, maybe, I think they just why. wanted to get things over with a little earlier. Okay. Well, they did that for my entire life growing up in in, in Arizona, like watching D-backs games. So maybe it does make sense. All right. So uh, first game, we have Kyle on the mound for the Cubs. Hendricks, uh, 0-1, a 7-flat ERA. He'll be facing McClanahan for the Rays, 0-1, with a 3-flat ERA. On Tuesday, same 6.40 p.m. start time. Justin Steele back there out on the mound for the Cubs, 1-0, 1.93 ERA. Tampa Bay has not announced a starter. Corey and I are recording this on midnight. Monday morning, Sunday night, whatever you want to call that. So check your phone to see who that starter is on Tuesday. On Wednesday, the Rays did announce starter is Rasmussen. He's 0-1 with a 5-flat ERA. Marcus Stroman on the mound for the Cubs, 0-1 with a 6-ERA, looking to rebound off that start in Colorado where the wheels kind of came off a little bit. Uh, what I'm looking for, I still want to see Patrick continue to hit the ball well. Same with Frank. I want Nico to get rewarded for some of the hard uh, contact. We saw that happen with two extra base hits on Sunday. Same thing with Madrigal, get rewarded for that hard contact. Saya, Barry Bonds-esque, best hitter in the league. Hopefully that continues. And then uh, continue to monitor that type of bullpen hierarchy. Does Givens 
become the fireman? Is it more just contextual given the matchups? Will we see Robertson in some of that fireman, like seventh, eighth inning type roles as we've seen Givens? To me, those are kind of the, the focal points going into the series. Yeah, I think pretty simple. Want to see bounce back starts from Hendricks and Stroman and just I, I mean I honestly like I can't wait every day to just watch say a Suzuki play baseball at this point like <laughs> it's it's happened yeah. pretty quick I think we all knew we were gonna like him but it's appointment viewing man I mean just to see what he's doing and I love these notes after the games from all the beat writers and the different stat accounts on on Twitter and stuff like that just pointing out like oh here's this you know thing that say a Suzuki did that nobody's done since 1945 or something like that you know it's just it's very exciting it's very cool for him and uh, I continue to be thrilled getting an opportunity to watch it and then he chose the Chicago Cubs and then you Darvish told him to choose the Chicago Cubs let's I not know, forget about that. that thank you yeah yeah, yeah. um so Again, uh, continue to support all that we're doing at CHGO, podcasts and live shows, every team, every day. Uh, Cody and Luke and I believe Ryan will have the pregame for you tomorrow, a little bit before the game goes live on Monday night. They will also have postgame for you throughout the series. Brendan and I will be back with you, of course, to recap things on Wednesday. And of course, you can become a member for all the premium written content over at allchgo.com. You get a free shirt and access to the members-only Discord when you sign up to become a member. So we thank you all for your support. We will talk to you guys again on Wednesday after the series with the Rays is over, but be sure to tune in to Luke, Cody, and Ryan for your pre- and post-game needs throughout this week. Thank you guys for listening, and as always, go Cubs!